Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. And I find chopsticks frankly distressing. Am I alone in thinking it odd that a people ingenious enough to invent paper, gunpowder, kites, and any number of other useful objects, and who have a noble history extending back 3,000 years, haven't yet worked out that a pair of knitting needles is no way to capture food? Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. A few months back, I was listening to the History of Japan podcast when host Isaac briefly mentioned the process that brought chopsticks to Japan. I found the explanation to be absolutely fascinating, and in today's episode, I have traced the lineage of the noble chopstick back to its creation in China. As I researched, I was reminded of a book I read back when I was in university. I read the book as part of my History of Modern Britain course, and it was called Notes from a Small Island by Bill Bryson. The book is probably Bryson's best-known work, and for those of you unaware, Bryson is a British-American author of primarily non-fiction books, typically travel, history, and the English language are his main topics. The book was assigned to our class as kind of a humorous introduction to the geography and culture of Great Britain. The book contains several great nuggets throughout, but is relevant today due to being the source of the quote that opened today's episode. Bryson humorously pokes fun at the Chinese culinary tradition of using chopsticks to capture food. When I read the quote for the first time, I chuckled and posted it to my Facebook wall for all my friends to see. Today, I finally go back and tackle the question of why it is that the chopstick came to dominate the food utensil industry of all of Asia. Before we travel all the way back to the creation of the physical chopstick, I want to explore the etymology of the name. In the 1630s, the English language arrived in China for the first time. The original point of entry for English were the trading towns of Macau and Guangzhou. The process of integration of the languages was very slow at first, but when the English established their first trading port in 1664 in the city of Guangzhou, it became of paramount importance that merchants from both sides had a way to communicate with one another. This led to the two sides collaborating and creating a trade-slash-bridge language between English and Chinese. This lingua franca is sometimes referred to as Chinese Pidgin English, is largely a broken English language with some Chinese structure and syntax that allowed both sides to learn it easier than learning the other's full language. It was in Guangzhou that the English encountered the common food utensil of the Chinese for the first time, Sailors inquired what the two bamboo sticks used to shovel food into one's mouth was called, and the rules of Chinese pidgin English produced the name chopstick, and it is in this form that the word entered the English lexicon. In Chinese, the word for chopstick is kuaizi. It is a semantic phonetic compound word. The first part of the word would translate approximately as quick, and the second part as bamboo. In Chinese pidgin English, Quick was substituted for the word chop, as in chop-chop, or do it quickly. The English phrase chop-chop is actually thought to have originated from the Cantonese language. Cantonese seamen of the time were known to use the phrase chop-chop in the same way that we mean chop-chop today. Basically, it meant do this without delay. 
This practice spread to English seamen who misheard the phrase and started to say chop-chop instead. As a result, the word chop stood in for the first part of the word quasi. Bamboo is, of course, a type of wood, and the two eating utensils look like a small stick, so it made sense to translate it to stick. Put the two parts together, and it becomes chopstick, and would originally have had approximately the same meaning as the Chinese word. It is unknown exactly when the word chopstick entered the English language. However, the earliest known record of the word was the book Voyages and Descriptions by William Dampier, published in 1699. The English word chopstick is then, as expected, only a little over 300 years old. The chopstick itself is thought to have been created some 3,000 years ago. The exact creation date is a little bit of a mystery, but some potential clues can be found in three Chinese legends that tell the creation story of the chopstick. We will look at each of them in turn. The first legend was most prevalent in the Sichuan province of China and occurred in the waning years of the Shang dynasty. The Shang dynasty is the first Chinese dynasty that is attested to both in the written and archaeological record. It is the successor of the quasi-legendary Zia dynasty that we will discuss in greater depth in a few minutes. Scholars are split between two possible ranges of time for the Shang dynasty period. The two date ranges are 1766 to 1122 BCE or from 1556 to 1046 BCE. Either way, our legend takes place in the last generation of this dynasty and starts in a small fishing village. In the village lived a fairly typical married couple. The man was named Jang Zia, and according to his wife, the only skill Jang possessed was fishing. This resulted in the young married couple being very poor, with no chance to ever climb socially to a point where they could live comfortably. Over time, Jang's wife grew frustrated with this state of affairs and hatched a plan to extradite herself from the situation. She would murder her husband and attract a new, more skilled partner. She slowly laid her ground plan. When the inevitable day arrived where Jang's only skill abandoned him and he returned home from a fishing expedition without even a single fish scale to mark his day's work, she knew it would be time to act. Not long after she hatched her plan, Jang returned home and informed his wife that he was unable to catch a single fish. Jang's wife reviewed his failure with a pitying glare, yet refrained from nagging him for once about his need to provide. She only said, You must be hungry. I cooked meat for you. Come, eat. Jang was very hungry. After a long day of work, he wanted nothing more than to eat his food and rest his weary head. His wife offered him the meat, and he reached out to grab it with his hand. Just before the meat touched his fingers, a bird swooped in from the window and pecked his hand away. Jang yelled out in pain and shooed the bird back out of the window. With the bird gone, Jang again attempted to take the meat from his wife, and again the bird swoops and pecked at his hand. He yelped in pain and waved the bird away. Rather than attempt again, he decided to investigate and followed the bird outside. In Chinese culture, birds can sometimes be symbols or messengers of divine spirits. In this case, this particular bird actually was a divine spirit. Jang found the divine bird perched on a branch of bamboo. Jang approached the bird and heard it sing, Jang Zia, don't eat the meat with your bare hands. Use what's beneath my feet. Jang snapped two small sticks off the bamboo tree and brought them home. He stepped inside and his wife offered him the meat. Rather than pick the meat up with his hand, he placed the two sticks between his thumb and finger and nimbly lifted the meat between the two sticks. 
As he held the meat, smoke began to issue from the bamboo. He realized that the smoke could only mean one thing. The meat had been poisoned by his wife. He feigned ignorance and asked his wife, What's going on with the smoke? Could it be toxic? He dropped the piece and picked up another with the same response. He offered this second slice to his wife and she ran from the room in terror. Ding realized that the magical bamboo had saved his life and been a gift from the divine. From that point forward, he ate every meal with his bamboo sticks. His wife never tried to poison him again, and soon his neighbors followed his example. Slowly the practice spread, and the custom of eating with chopsticks was passed down through the generations. Zhang Zia is actually a historically verified individual who lived in the 11th century BCE. In his early life, he served the last king of the Shang dynasty, a man named Dai Jin, who we'll meet in our second legend. King Dai Jin was a terrible ruler, and Jiang feigned madness so that he could retire to the countryside. It was in his retirement that he started to fish, although he fished with a barbless hook, as he believed that the fish would come to him when they were ready, rather than the other way around. I cannot imagine that this made him a very successful fisherman, but apparently he did not starve as he did survive to the point that the future King Wen would find Zhang and recruit him to join a rebellion against King Daijin that would result in the fall of the Zhang dynasty and the foundation of the Zhu dynasty. After the rebellion, Zhang became the foremost advisor of the new Zhu dynasty, and subsequent generation worshipped Zhang Zia as one of the country's noble ancestors. It is believed that the legend of Zhang Zia and the divine chopsticks were a result of this ancestor worship, a kind of funny story to tell children about a figure who would grow to have near-mythical deeds attributed to him. Based on the way I described the legend, it should be pretty clear that there is no historical evidence that Jang had anything to do with the creation of the chopstick. The Jang Zia Divine Chopstick legend does have one additional layer to it. In the story, his chopsticks were able to react and alert him to the poison. In classical Chinese culture, it was believed that silver chopsticks would change color when exposed to poison. As a result, most members of the royal family would eat with silver chopsticks in order to ward off assassination attempts. Today we know that the change in color was not due to divine protection of the chopstick, and instead the silver that they were made with. However, modern scientific analysis of silver has shown that silver does not react to arsenic or cyanide, which are two of the most common types of poison. Instead, silver does react to hydrogen sulfide, and exposure to it does lead to a change in color. Hydrogen sulfide, though, is not poisonous, and is commonly released by garlic, onions, and rotten eggs, to name just a few. As such, I feel really bad for any chef who thought those two-week-old eggs are probably still good, and I am sure the first person to serve the delicious garlic parmesan wings probably had their head liberated from their neck. It's tough to be a chef. Our second creation legend was most prominent in the Jiangsu province of China and concerned Jiang's nemesis, Dai Jin, the last king of the Shang dynasty. As mentioned, King Dai Jin was a terrible ruler, but in addition to this, he was also an incredibly fussy eater. Chefs considered him an entirely unpredictable man at the dinner table. Half the time, he would love a dish and praise the chef to the high heavens. But the very next time, he would berate the chef due to the fish not being fresh enough or the chicken soup being too hot. If he really hated the food, he wouldn't simply quietly complain about the food to his dinner companion. No, he would order the chef's summary execution. Serving the king bad food was considered a capital offense in the Shang dynasty. 
Like all great diabolical kings, Daijin even had a creative way to kill his offending chefs. His favorite was called the Cannon Burning Punishment. The punishment involved burning hot charcoals being placed into a large hollow bronze cylinder similar to a cannon. The cannon was heated to the point the cylinder was red hot. The king would then order the guards to force the prisoner to hug the cylinder. The result was horrible pain and often death. King Daijin's favorite consort and number one co-conspirator in his decadent lifestyle was a woman named Daji. Daji is often characterized as a malevolent fox spirit and is the archetype of the great beauty brings about the fall of dynasties in Chinese literature. Over time, Daji became frustrated with the constant turnover of men wearing chef's hats and decided she would lend her talents to the next chef. Daji began to appear early for all royal meals and would taste the king's meal before the king arrived at the table to ensure that the food was to the king's lofty standards. One day, she did not arrive early enough and found that the food was too hot to eat. As she was about to call for the hot dish to be swapped, King Daijin walked into the room. She realized if she did not think quickly that her friend the chef was a dead man. Daji pulled the emerald hairpin from her head and used it to pick up the food. She lightly blew on the food in order to cool it before she placed it into the king's mouth. There was a tense moment while the king chewed, but his smile said it all. Not only did he love the food, but he loved the service offered by Daji even more. He ordered that he would be fed this way from that day forth. Daji ordered a craftsman to create a new pair of emerald hairpins that would be easier to pick up the food, and thus the first official chopsticks were born. It did not take long for the royal custom to spread throughout the land, although for the everyday person they serve themselves rather than having their favorite and most beautiful consort feed them. King Daijin is often considered among the worst kings or emperors in Chinese history. His decadent lifestyle is blamed for the downfall of the Shang dynasty. After his downfall, he came to be known as King Zhao instead, which translates approximately to King Horse's Ass. In a tie-back to our first legend, Zhang Zia was an advisor of the man who overthrew King Daijin. It was actually Zhang Zia who advised the new king to execute the beautiful consort Daji. So our first legendary creator of the chopstick killed our second. The Daji hairpin creation legend is a wonderful tale and it involves two of the most hated characters in Chinese history. The capital city of the Shang dynasty where King Daijin and the great consort Daji would have lived is even the location where we have found the oldest pair of steel chopsticks on record. The capital city was named Yin and was located near the modern city of Anyang in the Henan province of China. The city of Yin was abandoned after the fall of the Shang and fell into ruin. It was rediscovered in 1899 and official excavations started in 1928. The Yin ruins are one of the most important archaeological discoveries in China and famously are the site where the oracle bones with the most ancient Chinese script were found. The Yin runes include four layers and correlate to four different time periods. Steel chopsticks were found in an excavated grave and in a location that date them to approximately 3,300 years ago. As a result, we have proof that chopsticks were already in existence prior to the time of King Daijin and Daji. Whether or not the chopsticks discovered at Yin were used as eating utensils or cooking utensils is a subject for further investigation. 
One thing that the Daji legend does tell us, though, is how a primary purpose of the chopstick was to pick up food that was too hot to hold and allow it to cool to an acceptable eating temperature quickly. Chinese culinary tradition is that typically they love to eat hot food, and they love to eat it as soon as it is ready to eat. As such, being able to pick it up and allow it to cool just a little bit before eating it is the perfect type of utensil. This makes the chopstick perfectly in line to the way that the Chinese like to eat their food. Our third and final legend was popular throughout much of northeastern China, and it ties into the popular Great Flood of Gunyu legend. Flood myths are prevalent in the great majority of ancient civilizations. The Mesopotamians had the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Hebrews had the story of Noah's Ark, and the Chinese had the Great Flood of Gunyu. The appearance of similar stories throughout so many diverse cultures has long fascinated scholars and laymen alike. The Great Flood of Ganyu is of particular interest because there is actual archaeological evidence that the Yellow River experienced one of the most devastating floods of the past 10,000 years in approximately 1920 BCE. The traditional dating of the Great Flood of Ganyu is usually between 100 and 200 years prior to this, but it is possible that the dating is off and the legends surrounding the flood are directly inspired by this historical flood. It is also possible that they are two distinct events and it is just a coincidence that the Chinese flood myth of 4,000 years ago just happens to be fairly close in time to a verifiable flood. After all, the events described in the legend do not really fit all that clearly into the evidence of destruction. Either way, without further ado, I present to you the Great Flood of Gunyu legend. During the reign of Emperor Yao some 4,000 years ago, the Yellow River began to behave very violently. It would flood and cause large amounts of damage to the surrounding area. The continued damage ended economic well-being and stifled social development. In the absence of stability, the country began to stagnate. The Emperor Yao knew he had to find a way to stop the floods or his great kingdom would fall. He assigned the task to his top engineer, the eminently capable Gun. Gun tried everything he could think of to stem the waters and stop the floods. He ordered ditches to be dug and dams to be built higher, but nothing worked and the river continued to wreak havoc on the countryside. Gun worked tirelessly for years, but when Yao's successor took the throne, he shunned Gun for his failure and exiled him from China. The new emperor was named Shun, and he promoted Gun's son to the position of chief engineer with the sole responsibility of putting an end to the floods. Gun's son was named Da Yu. He had been apprenticed to his father and had served his father faithfully while Gun tried to use the ancient techniques to stop the floods. Da Yu recognized that a new strategy would have to be developed if he were ever to be successful. Rather than building higher dams or relying on ditches in strategic locations to defend against a possible flood, Yu designed an irrigation system that would siphon water out of the river and onto the farmer's fields. This offensive approach lowered the water levels of the river to make it less likely to flood and brought the water to places where it was actually needed and could do some good. The difficult part about Yu's strategy was that it was far from an overnight solution. Building an irrigation system is hard work that takes years to install correctly. Yu was confident that his plan would work and he convinced Emperor Shun to trust him. Shun believed in his young engineer and provided him the funds to complete the project. 
Yu shared the plans with his subordinates and traveled all along the river to install the new system. Yu recognized that his plan was a complicated one and that it was dangerous for his workers to be so close to an unpredictable river as they dug the necessary lines for Yu's irrigation. Yu, though, had complete faith in his plan and in his crew. In order to highlight this, Yu regularly got his hands dirty helping the manual laborers, a job far beneath his station. Yu worked tirelessly. He was always the first one on the job site and the last one to leave. He barely took breaks and practically ran between stations so that he would stay on schedule. In all, the irrigation system took 13 years to complete, but once it was, the floods were a thing of the past. He had not tamed the Yellow River, but he had made it manageable. The work of installing the system had been so difficult and time-consuming that Yu practically never slept and had no time for lunch breaks. In the early days, he nearly starved himself to death as his aides attempted to force food onto him, but he had no time to stop to eat it. One day came where his stomach growled too loudly for him to ignore any longer, so he walked to the kitchen area of the camp where a large pot had been made to boil and dropped a few pieces of meat into the water. The meat had nearly cooked fully when a yell for assistance was heard throughout the camp. Barely thinking, Yu snapped two branches off the nearest bamboo tree and used them to clamp down on his meat. He pulled the meat out of the water and ran to investigate the sound. As Yu held the meat in between the two bamboo sticks, the meat cooled to an edible temperature and he popped them into his mouth. The nutrients from this quick meal allowed him to quickly solve the problem that had necessitated the yell. The next day he realized that he would be able to finish a meal far quicker if he used the sticks to again cool the meat. For the rest of the project he used the bamboo sticks to eat all of his meals as the minutes the sticks saved him were invaluable. Soon the other workers noticed the boss's strange eating habit and started to copy him. It was immediately recognizable how the bamboo sticks were superior to eating with one's hand. The bamboo was also so plentiful that it did not add an unnecessary cost. After the great flood ceased, Yu was hailed as a hero throughout the land. He was the great controller of the waters and savior to all of China. With the floods no longer destroying the areas around the river, the economy began to grow again and soon China was the strongest of all its neighbors. When people talked about the great hero of China, they also mentioned his strange eating utensil. As Yu's fame spread, so too did the use of the chopsticks. Soon everyone in China knew Yu's name, and soon everyone in China used his chopsticks. Emperor Shun was so proud of Yu's accomplishments that he promoted him to the highest office and trumpeted Yu as the hero of China. Yu had so impressed his workers that he soon became universally loved throughout all of China. He was the quintessential example of what hard work and dedication could accomplish. Shun believed Yu was such a great man that he appointed Yu to be his successor. When Shun died, Yu followed him to the throne and established the Zia dynasty. King Yu is commonly known as the first king of the first real dynasty of China, although it should be noted that from an archaeological standpoint we are unable to verify the existence of Yu or of the Zia dynasty, but that is a traditional belief. In death, Yu was cherished with the epithet of the Great, and has become known to history as Yu the Great. In subsequent generations, he was pointed to by philosophers and civil servants alike as the type of man that all should attempt to emulate. The legend of Yu the Great's invention of the chopstick is an attractive one, is the tale of an accidental and unexpected invention that then gradually expanded and revolutionized the way people ate. 
One similarity that you may have noticed between these three legends is the type of food that was being eaten by the chopstick. Jiangxia is reaching for meat, Daji is feeding the king meat, and Yu the Great Snack was meat. The type of food is essential to understanding the development of chopsticks. Wang Renzhang, who is a research fellow at the Institute of Archaeology, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, and one of the foremost experts on Chinese food culture, has stated that if one intends to investigate the origin of chopsticks, one must study the development of stew as a popular dish. In the book Chopsticks by Q. Edward Wang, he puts it another way. Chinese food scholars have postulated that it was due to the need to make and eat gang that chopsticks were invented, first as stir sticks, and then chopsticks, and more. Gang in this context translates approximately as stew. The connection between stew and chopstick was formulated based on archaeological finds and references in classic Chinese philosophical works, primarily the Han Feizi by the legalist philosopher Han Fei, and the Classic of Rites, which is part of the Confucian canon and describes the social forms, administration, and ceremonial rites of the Zhu dynasty. The biggest archaeological find was the previously mentioned Yin runes. The bronze chopsticks found in the Yin runes are dated to around 1300 BCE. This would place us in the later Shang dynasty period and speaks to just how ancient the chopsticks are. The bronze chopsticks are similar to our modern day chopsticks except they are a little bit longer. The belief is that the primary purpose of these bronze chopsticks was to stir the food during cooking rather than to eat it. In northern China the most common types of food were millet and stews. The chopsticks of the Shang and early Zhu would have been perfect for stirring the food and grabbing small pieces to assist in making sure everything was cooked just right, but not as useful for actually eating this type of food. The primary way of serving millet would have been too runny to be used by chopsticks similar to porridge and so instead would have been eaten with a spoon. Other food would have mostly been eaten by hand. Early two-pronged forks have also been discovered and even knives have been included in the typical household utensil set. Therefore, in these early days, the chopstick would have had more in common with a modern-day tongs than with the versatile eating utensil it has become. It is unknown exactly when the chopsticks began to morph from a single cooking utensil to a dual cooking and eating utensil. As Wang asserts, the best way to track the change may be to track the popularity of stews. The Classic of Rites provides valuable information about some of the etiquette rules in place during the late Zhao dynasty. It has one entry that specifically mentions chopsticks. It is as follows. If the stew be made with vegetables, chopsticks should be used, but not if there be no vegetables. It also explicitly stated, do not use chopsticks when eating millet. These little passages are subject to much debate for whether it means that chopsticks could only be used to eat vegetable stews, or if it was just a single example of an acceptable use. Either way, it is rather clear that even by the end of the Zhao dynasty, 256 BCE, chopsticks were far from the preeminent eating utensil that they are today. It was largely during the Han dynasty that the chopstick became the eating utensil of China. The change was inspired by a few different reasons. 1. The Han Dynasty stretched further south than the previous Chinese dynasties. This allowed for the introduction of different foodstuffs. The south of China was particularly known for their rice fields rather than the millet that was easier to grow in the north. 
the spread of rice made eating with chopsticks far easier. 2. A population boom necessitated a change in cooking techniques. Chefs started to cut meat into smaller pieces before cooking it. Previously, the large pieces of meat would have had to be cut into smaller pieces with a knife or the sharp edge of a spoon before eating. The change in style allowed the person eating to simply pick up the food and place it in their mouth with no extra steps to cut the meat. The change in cooking style allowed the person eating the food to simply pick up the food and place it into their mouth with no extra steps. 3. The increased use of lacquerware plates. Chopsticks are less likely to damage the intricate design than sharp utensils. 4. The rise of Confucianism. Confucius is probably the most famous of all Chinese philosophers. His teachings typically dealt with personal and governmental morality. On the personal morality side, Confucius taught that it was poor manners to have a knife at the kitchen table. He argued that the knife was a tool of violence, and it brought to mind memories of warfare that had no place at a dinner party. As a result, the chefs were instructed to prepare food in a way that no members of the dinner party would possibly have need to use a knife. The elegant chopsticks were a perfect alternative to the knife as it contained no sharp edges and could nimbly pick up the smallest pieces of food in a dignified manner. Fifth and final is that the Chinese people preferred to eat their food hot. The practice steered them away from eating food with their hands and toward a convenient utensil that could reach into a bowl to grab all their favorite foods. The popularity of chopsticks continued to spread after the fall of the Han Dynasty, and by around the year 500 CE, the chopsticks had become the dominant utensil. From there, it started to spread into the other Asian countries. Many of the other countries adopted the chopstick for the same reason as the Chinese did. Mainly, it was better than eating with one's hands, and it fit the various Asian cuisines. Most Asian cuisines rely heavily on sticky rice or noodles, and the chopstick is the perfect tool for that job. Some meals also pair the chopsticks with a spoon, but the chopsticks were an entirely versatile utensil that fit their needs perfectly. Most likely unrelated to the initial adoption of the chopstick throughout Asia, but recent medical studies have shown that people who regularly use chopsticks tend to have better memories and dexterity. A drawback of the heavy use of chopsticks, though, is that arthritis is very common in old age for frequent chopstick users. Additionally, more recently, the nature of disposable bamboo chopsticks has started to pose an environmental issue as large amounts of trees are destroyed to make the chopsticks and then are just thrown away after a single use. Hopefully a remedy for that can be made sooner rather than later. So that is the story of how chopsticks were originally invented as simple stirring sticks for use by Chinese chefs before they developed further into eating utensils for specific types of food and finally becoming the dominant eating utensil for all of China before going on to becoming the dominant eating utensil for about a quarter of the world's population. Rather fascinating little story. Before I leave you, I suppose I should elaborate on the story of Japan's use of the chopstick. As mentioned, chopsticks were the dominant utensil by around the year 500 CE and then started to spread to their neighbors. Korea is thought to have been one of the early adopters of the chopstick. Through trade with Japan, it was actually Korea who introduced the chopstick to Japan rather than China. It is unclear exactly when the first chopstick arrived, but the oldest Japanese record of the use of chopsticks appears in the Kojiki Chronicle. In English, this is known as the Records of Ancient Matters and is generally dated to the year 712 CE. 
The description of the early use of chopsticks does not describe it as an eating utensil, but rather as a tool used in official ceremonies, particularly religious ceremonies. Once the chopstick appeared in official ceremonies, it was only a matter of time before it started to be used as an eating utensil as well. It is thought that the increased access and use of rice in food after the 11th century is what helped to make the chopstick popular in Japan. The sudden use of chopsticks as an eating utensil changed the fate of one specific Japanese dish, sushi. In the early days of sushi, it was kind of a sour dish that was not particularly appealing for large segments of the population. It was usually eaten by hand and was a fairly cheap food. As a result, it was the poor who often ate sushi and the rich who avoided it. Once chopsticks started to be used as an eating utensil, the sushi industry seized on this development and pitched their food as one that should be eaten with chopsticks. This allowed for them to break into the market of fine dining. The marriage of chopsticks and sushi has been a lucrative one ever since. Okay, that does it for this week. Thank you for tuning in to the Why Is That podcast. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that be Acast, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Republic, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Podbean, or wherever else podcasts are streamed. Until next time, cheers.